0: How is everybody? See, that that was a question. How is everybody? Okay, we've got to liven this up a little bit, so everybody's kind of quiet this morning. So I'm, I'm really excited to go, uh, we're, we're on week two of Nehemiah, so we'll be looking at chapter two. Uh, we'll, well, I'm, I'm actually going to split this up into two, uh, two sermons, chapter two, but... This, uh, I'm excited to go through the series with you. It's uh, one of my favorite books of the Bible, favorite books of the Old Testament, and uh, we can learn a ton through this series personally and corporately as a church. Uh, This past Wednesday, we had our first in-depth Bible study. Um, We studied chapter one a little bit deeper. Uh, We spent about, I think it was about an hour and a half uh, digging into Nehemiah, and we really had a great discussion. We had about 15 people show up. I think it was about 15. Sound about right? Yeah. Uh, fifteen people show up, and, and it was very lively. We had a lot of fun, and and we really dug into Nehemiah's life and what he was doing, um, and dug into chapter one. So, if you've missed last week, the opportunity is still there. Come Wednesday nights, six thirty in the fellowship hall. Um, I think you'll really enjoy the study, and it'll really get you um, get you looking into the book a little further. Uh, anytime you study a book of the Bible, you know, just reading through it's one thing. That's good to get kind of a summary. But it's great to take a book and just really dig in chapter by chapter, sometimes verse by verse, and really kind of asking those questions of, of, you know, who, what, when, and where, trying to figure out what's going on. So Wednesday nights are a great opportunity for you to do that. As we move through Nehemiah chapter 2, I wonder, uh, uh, last week and actually the past couple weeks I've mentioned, okay, it kind of gave you guys a little challenge to read Esther and Ezra. I'm not going to ask for how many hands... I don't, want to, I don't want to hassle you too much, but I wonder how many of you have actually started reading that. I want to encourage you for that too. Read that because it'll give you, Nehemiah or Esther has a connection to, um, to Artaxerxes and he also, Ezra was there at Jerusalem when the, uh, trying to help restore it. So you can learn a lot about what's going on in that. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book. So, um, you can look at it and, and really kind of learn the what's going on in the culture during that time, so I want to challenge you to read that now last week as we we learned a lot about Nehemiah and what kind of man he was, what kind of person he was, we learned a lot about about his just just who he was as a person. we knew that he was a cupbearer. we found that out uh, we we knew that he last week we we learned that he was really concerned about his people He he was so concerned they ran to his his brother to want to get a report about what was going on in Jerusalem. He was very desperate. He even demanded the word um, uh, to try to go out to figure out what was going on. It was, uh, he demanded an answer from his brother. Uh, so we learned a little bit about that, his passion for the people. We learned about his character, uh, or God's character, his, how he viewed God, God's character and how he viewed um, God as, uh, as a holy, awesome God, and how great God was. And we learned a little bit about that. Um, we learned about how he approached sin and how sin was, uh, he, he confessed his sin regularly and it was very important to him, but he also confessed Israel's sin and he, and he put, put himself in that, his rebellion. So he, he, he acknowledged not only Israel's rebellion, but also his own rebellion. So um, we also learned that had, he gave confidence to God's promises uh, we, and, and we also learned that he was committed to being involved. At the very end of the message and end of that chapter, he was very committed to doing something. It wasn't just praying. He wasn't just doing this or that. He was committed. He wanted to make a difference. He wanted to serve God. He wanted to help his people. So, learning about Nehemiah last week, we learned a lot about him as a person, what kind of character he is. This week, we're going to look a little bit. We're going to go a little bit further, and 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 the, the moving on to the story. Uh, we, we he, Nehemiah didn't just rely on him being a cupbearer or his status or his resume. I mean, he, this was a prominent position. He didn't rely on that. He could have just sat around and, and, and did nothing and just prayed. But he, and he and he had the status, this great job, being like the president's aide, that sort of thing. He lived in the palace, got all the fine foods. But and he could have rested on that. But instead, he he took this time and he wanted to get involved. And, 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 uh, and get involved outside of that, uh, of just being a cupbearer. He had specific tools, as we will see, he had specific tools that he used to, uh, to take care of the tasks that were in front of him. So he moves on and he, he's, about, he's praying and all this stuff, and then at the very last part of chapter 1, he makes a mention about this man. Give him success in front of this man. And that man was the king. That's what he's referring to. So now we're, in, we're moving on to chapter 2, and, and, uh, and Nehemiah got out his tools so he could handle the task in front of him. And in verses 1 through 10, we see that Nehemiah used five specific tools to accomplish and, and, and move forward. He had five tools he used in his arsenal, okay, in his toolbox. And we're going to look at that today. Next week, we're going to look at the five tasks that he did. So first, he had the tools to accomplish certain tasks. So that's what our two messages are going to be this week and next week. This week's message is called How to Tackle a Tough Job, Part 1. How to Tackle a Tough Job. So as we go through restoration period, as we go through a rebuilding or anything like that, we've got a tough job ahead of us. We've got things to do. We have a lot of stuff we've got to take care of. Any project, any kind of rebuilding. Nehemiah has this huge wall to rebuild and the, the fences, and there's a lot of stuff he's got to do. So he has to have the right tools. You know, I, I always enjoyed building with my hands. When I was a kid, I went through, uh, I was the, sh- the woodshop kid at school. I was in all the woodshop classes. I was in auto body, or, um, auto body class, auto mechanics class. I took photography because I got to play in a dark room. I was always working my hands and building things. I enjoyed that. But I also, knew, I, I also knew that I needed certain tools for certain jobs. Now, today I don't have many tools. I, I, I don't have a garage to build. I don't have a, a you know Sanders or anything like that. But I have some tools that I use for fishing. And I, 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 I still love sitting at the table, stripping my reels apart. And I have specific tools that I use for my gunsmithing and, and my fishing and stuff like that. There's specific tools you have to have. And I do enjoy that. Now, some people have... Uh, a relative. As a matter of fact, how, let me show. Raise your hands if you have a relative that seems to have a garage that looks like Lowe, Lowe's or Home Depot. I mean, somebody that has like every. Yeah, everybody has a relative that seems to have every tool out there, right? Yeah, we we all have one in our family. You might be sitting here right now and be that person. My my grandfather, my my granddaddy, Blythe, he was one of those guys. He was one of the guys that I respected and admired. Um, probably the most in my family. I just love this guy. As I was a little kid, I would go to his house. Uh, he lived down in Portsmouth, and I would, uh, he had this garage that they built in the back, and he had all these, all kinds of tools, but then if he didn't have the tool, he would make the tool. I mean, it was just. he would have all this duct tape, everything. He loved duct tape before duct tape was popular. He, was, uh, he had duct tape on everything. If it was a, a problem, a pipe broke, he would duct tape it. He had tools everywhere, and I loved building things. I remember I was probably about eight years old or so. I just took a two by four and just chiseled my name in it. Just fun stuff. But he's the one guy that that when I think of tools, I think of him. I mean, he had the tools. If he didn't have the tools, he would make the tools or go and, and or buy the tools. Now this guy was incredible to me. He built his own airplane. He this airplane that you see up here. He. He built that with his hands. See, All he had was a set of plans. He took a set of plans. He ordered. Back then it wasn't online. This was in the mid-'80s. So he ordered it for some company that would ship him out these experimental plans, or experimental planes, um, and this was called a dragon, an experimental model. And he took this, only a set of plans, and in his garage he started building it. Made it out of wood, frame. I remember having the wings, and then I remember, I remember sanding, uh, he had fiberglass, everything was fiberglass there, so I'd be sanding as a little kid, probably sanding little bald spots into the fiberglass, and he'd probably have to fix it, but he never said anything. But he, he built this plane from with his hands. He, all he did was he started with a set of plans. Many things he didn't know, he didn't know everything about this. He didn't know everything about the plane. He he had his pilot's license. He knew how to fly, but he didn't know everything about this. But as he went along, he started learning. He started learning how to do certain things, how to do fiberglass work, how to glue joints together a certain way so they're strong. He didn't have every tool that he needed. But as he got the tools, or as he needed a tool, he either built it or he bought it. He didn't have all the tools. He was patient, took him, I think, two or three years to build this in his garage. He had a vision. He knew what he wanted. He saw the, the the picture of the plane. You know, somebody, there was one guy that had one, had this lightning bolt on it. I think that was the advertisement. I mean, he saw the plane done, and he had this vision of what he wanted. He saw the end result. He saw what he wanted to have. And he believed he can do it. He didn't come in every day, and as I see him work on it, and I would come out to the summers and spend three or four months with him during the summers and I would see him out there working on this thing. He, he believed that it could be done. He didn't just stand in and go, oh, I hope it will happen someday. No, he believed. He, he's like, you know what, I'm working towards something. I believe this is going to happen. I believe I can build an airplane in my garage. And when it was all done, and he took it out, I remember the first day he flew, took it out to uh, Suffolk Airport out in Portsmouth area, okay, out in, in Hampton Roads. And I remember the first day he got in that. And I was worried, because I sanded some of that plane, so I'm hoping things weren't going to fall apart. But I remember the day he flew it. And he had faith that it would fly. He had faith that it would take off and land. He had faith in the, in the engine, that the engine would continue moving and, and he wouldn't run out of gas. He had faith. He built this plane. It was in the news. Uh, One of my proudest moments of my grandfather. I I still look at this. I have this picture up on my wall, um, and I look at this picture and I just think, man, you know, he's an inspiration to me because I don't know about you, but I couldn't build an airplane in my garage. I think that's pretty amazing, to 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 myself. But he had faith to see this thing through. See, in 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 order to complete a project or achieve something great in life, you have to start with the right tools. You have to start with the right plans. You have to have a vision of what you believe God is leading you to. You have to have a vision of the end result. He envisioned this this plane being built and flying it someday. He didn't know everything about it. He didn't know every step he was going to do. He had to turn page to page and do it one step at a time. He had to look at the plans and, and move forward, but he didn't know everything about it. You have to have patience and faith as you build something. Many people make plans on a daily basis using tools that we learned in school. Whether it's high school or college, you have certain skills that you've learned. You learn how to read and write and and do certain things. And you take these tools and you use them in your day-to-day life. Now, some things we, we learn, you know, when we first learn how to drive, we learn how to pump the gas, and we learn those basic things. And we don't really think about those too much. Other things we have to think through. Some things are more complicated. Sometimes we succeed. Sometimes we fail. Some people plan wisely. Some people don't. In building ministry, it's the same way. Unfortunately, many people don't apply the same principles and approach the church or ministry. They don't plan. They they don't use a plan. They don't strategize. Sometimes people think that, that they don't strategize or make a plan for evangelism or, or worship or church growth or any of those things. And, and I've, uh, they don't want to get away get in the way of the Holy Spirit. And they, I've heard different terms. Different people i have heard, heard uh, pastors say this or, or lay people say this where they don't want to get in the way of the Holy Spirit so they don't plan anything. And they just kind of wing it. God doesn't do that. God had a plan. Jeremiah 29.11 I have, for the plans I have for you, says the Lord, God knows has a plan he, he has planned for look at revelations, he has a plan something 's going to happen in the future he 's planning to build ministry. there are tools that we need in order to build this church. These tools will not only help us build the church but it'll also help us personally. so the restoration, a lot of this message is about about restoring this church and, and taking coming to Baptist Church and and revitalizing it but It's also about restoring us as people. So I don't want you to forget that. As we go through the series, a lot of it is about us changing. And if we change and we do these things and we apply these things in our lives, the church will naturally start growing because we'll start applying those things into the church setting too. Last week I mentioned Martin Luther uh, said a, a great quote. Pray as if everything depends on God, then work as if everything depends on you. As we move into Nehemiah chapter 2, we'll be studying Nehemiah chapter 2 in two parts, and I mentioned this a minute ago. The first part, we'll be looking at Nehemiah's toolbox. We'll be looking at what he used in his first interaction and, and when, when things started to change. See, he heard the news from his brother about Jerusalem. Then, fast forward four months later, now he's about to talk to the king. So now things are starting to progress. Things are going to move. And he, he reached into his toolbox and pulled a few things out, and that's what we're going to look at today. And then next week, we're going to look at the tasks that he accomplished, the things that he needed to do. So open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll be looking at verse 1 through 10, and it will be up on the screen. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took, the, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I, had been, I have not been sad in his presence... And the king said to me, "Why is your face sad, seeing that seeing you are not sick?" This was nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, "Let the king live forever. Why should my why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my fathers' graves lie in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire?" Then the king said to me, "What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God in heaven and said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves and that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me with the, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the providence beyond the river, that they may may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the providence beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But then Sanballat the Horodite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, Ammonite servant heard this. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, as we open up your word, as we look at Nehemiah and his first interaction with the king and and his travels, Father God, open our hearts and our minds to your word and teach us what you'd have us learn. We ask the Holy Spirit to be here and guide us during this time. We love you and we praise you and we just want to seek you first above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first toolbox or the first tool that Nehemiah pulls out is patience. Patience, and we see that in verse one, he was a man of decisive, uh, of decisive action, and he was truly a man of prayer. He was a prayer warrior. It was natural for him to give, to ask God for immediate opportunity to seek to uh, speak to the king. He he went to God and asked him for an opportunity for these things, and he was he was in in, in desperate prayer. Remember, in the very beginning, in chapter one, he went he. Heard what happened with Jerusalem, and he went into prayer. As time goes on, as you looked in the very first, uh, in in chapter 2, verse 1, it says uh, the month of Nisan. Well, if you look at that, and then in chapter 1, it has Shizlev is the other month. That's actually two separate months, and they're about four months apart. So he's been in prayer for quite a long time. Now he is asking God to give him an opportunity, and he keeps praying for this. God, give me an opportunity to talk to the king. And he's a man of, I mean, he's, he's dedicated to prayer. But he's also very patient in waiting for the Lord. He's patient as he goes through these things. He didn't just rush out to do it his way. He was patient with the situation. He probably wanted to. He probably wanted to get on a horse and run to Jerusalem right then and there. But that wouldn't have been wise. He didn't have any resources. He could have, all kinds of things could have happened. He couldn't, as he passed through the different territories, the governors could have arrested him. I mean, there are all kinds of things could happen. he didn't do that he waited on god and he waited patiently for god hebrews 6 12 says imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised nehemiah could have tried to do it his way instead he waited and prayed how many times have you asked god for direction you can raise your hand if you want you don't have to but how many times have you asked god for direction and you say, God, give me direction on how to make this decision. But then the next day, or even later that day, shoot, even a few minutes later, you're already making the decision on how to solve the problem. Have you ever done that? I saw a couple of hands raised. Have you ever done that? Where you just, you're like, oh, God, I, I, should I take this job or take that job? And, and, you're, and you're deciding, okay, and then all of a sudden, a few minutes later, you're like, well, that one, that one gives me more days off, so I'll take that one. And you already make the decision. You already do it. That's not really waiting for God, is it? That's just kind of doing it our way. In Nehemiah's prayer journal, he waited for four months. Nothing happened. Four months. See, waiting time is not wasted time. I want you to remember that. Waiting is not wasted. Nehemiah spent time in quiet reflection. He spent time in prayer. He spent time in fasting. He took this time to spend time with God to seek God's advice and God's wisdom on how to handle these situations. As we spend time in quiet reflection, he, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will talk to us, but He won't shout things to you. It's only through quiet prayer, quiet meditation, picking up the Word of God and just reflecting on it. Going on what they call contemplative prayer walks or just walking around or, or sitting there just contemplating quietly, thinking about God, meditating. And when when you, and all of a sudden you'll have these direction. God will start giving you some direction, some peace in those directions. And it won't, almost won't make sense sometimes, but you'll know without a doubt that that's from God. You will have no doubt. You'll be like, I need to do this. When I came, when I was candidating here, before I actually did that, when I was contemplating on should I apply for this job, I, I went to the website and reviewed some things. I'm like, no, that's not really me. Okay. So I dismissed coming to Baptist Church at first. But then as I went back and started looking at jobs again, because I knew God wanted me to come back to Virginia. I knew that. In my prayers, I knew without a doubt. But then I found Covington again. I've told this story before where I found Covington again, and something told me, it was like this, this urge, I needed to look further. So I started reading the 2020 vision. I started reading a little bit more, and I knew without doubt that I needed to apply for this job. That was from listening to God. That's from quiet reflection. That's from prayer. See, on the surface, I don't know if I would have applied for the job or not. But I knew God wanted me here. And look where I stand today. That's because we listen to God. God wants each, and us, each of us to get real familiar with this tool. and Because we're going to have to use it a lot. Patience. Waiting for God. Looking at God. See, there's going to be, a, as we restore, as we work toward restoration here, as we work toward restoration as a church and, and, and restore people to a, a strong, vibrant walk with God, we're going to have some, some difficulties. We're going to have some challenges we're going to face. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. We're going to have some hard times because anytime we work for God and we start working toward God, we're going to be faced with different things. And the only way we're going to get through it is if we go to God in prayer and we listen quietly and we see Him and we see God working and we follow it His direction. We're going to have people that are going to oppose what we're doing. They're going to complain. They're going to criticize. They're going to complain with me wearing a short sleeve shirt and not a tie and a jacket. We're going to have that. We're going to have people that are going to complain because somebody's wearing jeans to church. We're going to have complaints about maybe my preaching. Maybe my preaching is not what they're used to. Maybe I'm not too fire and brimstone-like or something. And they're going to complain about that. They're going to complain about changes. They're going to complain uh, that we're not friendly enough. Or then we're going to, uh, we'll get complaints when we are friendly. They're going to complain about being too friendly. See, we can't please them all. We're going to get that. As we work toward God, people are going to oppose us. We're going to have those challenges. There's going to be people that are, that are going to have serious difficulties with change. They might want the church to grow but they want it to grow in their way. And so they have difficulties with certain things. And that's going to create challenges to all of us here. It's going to create challenges to the leadership. It's going to create challenges to other people in the congregation. See, so we're going to have that. You know, they have, these people have difficulty trusting things, different new ways of doing things. And it's hard for them. And that's okay. We'll work with that. But we have to be patient. We have to go to God in working with this. As we grow and we start baptizing new believers, as we, as we get more bo- new believers, new Christians in, as we start baptizing people, guess what's going to happen? Things are going to get a little messy. You know why? Because we have young Christians that are new. They, they don't know certain things. They don't know what Scripture says about certain things. They're still going to come in with their Ozzy Osbourne shirts on or, or some, some thing, you know, and they're, it's, they're not going to dress the way we're used to. And that's okay. But, we're gonna, but when, we have to, when we face that, and it, maybe it makes us feel uncomfortable with things, guess what? We need to go to God and pray and ask God to help us with it, not them. Because it's not about them. It's our issue, our problem. And the only way we can do this is we have patience. We have patience with other people. We have patience to wait on God. We have to have patience with the changes that go on. And you have to trust that God is working. So that's what Nehemiah did. He was patient, and then he saw God doing something. God led him to go before the king and create an opportunity. And then notice that the king asked him why he was sad. See, the king mentioned it, and he got scared. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But see, he asked God to help him. And he was patient during this time. So as we grow, we need to work on patience. And we need to bring that to God and say, Lord, help me. Help me be patient with people. Patient with timing. Patient with the things going on. Help me open my my mind to new things. As we move forward in ministry and spiritual growth, we must be patient. We must first and foremost stay quiet reflection and prayer in order to hear God's whisper, we will be be given God's peace that surpasses all understanding. We must wait for God's wisdom, guidance, and direction. And as we get that, as we have patience, that God starts working on that, guess what? The next thing is we need to trust Him, which is the second tool that Nehemiah had. Trust. The second tool is found in uh, verses 2 and 3. See, Nehemiah was sad in the first verse. That word sad was used three different times. And it described how he looked when he was in the presence of the king. And the, the king asked him, why aren't you chipper? Why are you sad? This is an issue. Okay, because people don't, you're not supposed to be sad in front of the king. But the, uh, Nehemiah, uh, the king asked Nehemiah why he was not chipper himself. And in verse 2, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. Some verses say, some translations say, A terrible fear came over me. That's pretty intense. So now he's he's asking God for an opportunity. He's praying, he's heartbroken over Israel and our Jerusalem. And now the king asked him, Why are you sad? And he got probably that chill. Chill down his spine. Now I'm afraid. A terrible fear came over me. Nehemiah could have totally ran off he could have freaked out and ran out the room in fear so sometimes we do that don't we maybe not run but we 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 run away from our fears a little bit see the king only wanted happy people to be around him i think he was afraid for two reasons I think first he was, he was expected to be content in the presence of the king. As a cupbearer, like I said, he, he had access to this beautiful palace, and he ate good food, and, and he was around, he was very privileged. He had a good relationship with the king. But the king, um, everybody's supposed to be happy around the king. And if he's not, people have been executed because of it. So this was a big deal. It wasn't like they're just, you know, I'm going to throw you in the dungeon or something. No, his life was on the line here. Him being sad in the presence of the king could be his life. The second was that he was about to ask the most powerful man in all the known world at that time to change a policy that he just created. Oh, if you were doing some reading in Ezra, you would find in chapter 4, some enemies of Jerusalem wrote a letter to the king, and was saying, "Hey, king, if you have this this Jerusalem built, you know the the Jewish people, the Hebrew people are known to rebel. They're very independent people, and they they claim to only follow God, and they will rebel against you, and you will have an uprising, and you could lose some territory here." So they wrote this letter, and so the king reads this, and had it translated, and ordered them to stop work. That's in chapter 4. And when it stopped work, now the the king orders this policy. He says, okay, stop work. I don't want this to happen. And in Ezra, uh, chapter 4, verse 21, it says, Now issue an order to those men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Nehemiah knew that it would take the power of God to change Artaxerxes' mind. He knew that, that as, he, as he now he's turning and he's, he's got this opportunity to say something and he knew that he's going to ask this guy, this, this king, the most powerful man, to change a policy of his, something that he just ordered. And I, I don't know about you, but that would probably scare me a little, especially if sadness could end my life. And now I'm going to turn around and boldly ask the king for some things. Nehemiah knew it would take the power of God to get Artaxerxes to change his mind. I think I'd be afraid too. So my question is, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I want you to think about this for a second. What are you deeply afraid of? See, Nehemiah is about to do this, and he's fearful. See, some of you might be afraid of the past, something you've done, or a lifestyle you lived, and you have that still in your mind, and you live it. You remind yourself, maybe you're afraid of that. Maybe you're worried about something you did a long time ago will catch up to you. Maybe you're afraid of the present. Maybe you have a fear of people or a fear of failure. Maybe you're afraid right now of change because you don't know anytime change happens or something new comes in, you don't get that security and that comfort of what you're used to. Change can be challenging for people if they're not used to change. Maybe you're afraid of people. Maybe that's your fear. You know, a lot of people are afraid to share the gospel because they're afraid of the rejection that they'll get or afraid that they mess it up and not explain it like a preacher or something. Others might be fearful of the future. You know, there's some studies that are done that women have a tendency to be more worrisome and more fearful of the financial situation of the home. There's something about that security that's important to them, and and if finances are tight or somebody loses a job, it's the the wife or the spouse, the woman that has a tendency to worry more about it. In the best-selling book *Who Moved My Cheese*, the author Spencer Johnson asks a very penetrating question: What would you do if you weren't afraid? What would you do if you weren't afraid? In your bulletins, there's a note thing. I want you to write that down. What would you do if you weren't afraid? If you weren't afraid, what would you do? Would you come up here and preach if you weren't afraid? Would you teach a class? Would you share the gospel more? Would you fill in the blank? Whatever it is. What would you do if you weren't afraid? Another, I've heard it else a different way by somebody else. It says, what would you do if you were guaranteed success you couldn't fail? What would you do if you were guaranteed success and you couldn't fail? What would that be? What does that look like? Dr. Johnson points out that fear often keeps us from taking the steps we know we need to take. Fear can par- paralyze us. Fear can keep us from moving forward. Now, there's a certain, there's certainly some who fear our time of restoration here. There's certainly people that are afraid to see what's going to happen, but we can't let that stop us from growing God's kingdom. That we can't let that stop us, that fear, stop us from moving forward to what God has in store here. See, fortunately, Nehemiah's faith was greater than his fear. He was, he, he, he was afraid, we see that, but yet he still moved forward. He still moved on to talk to the king. He did the right thing because he believed in the promises of God. He believed in who God was. We established that in chapter 1. He knew exactly who God was. He loved God and he respected God and he knew that he was awesome and great and he believed that God can provide. And the fear, he set the fear aside and he moved forward with trust. Trusting God, and that God will uh, lead and provide whatever is needed. Notice what happened. In that verse it says, I was very much afraid, but I said. See, it didn't stop him. It moved him forward. Instead of paralyzing him, fear propelled Nehemiah into action. Months of prayer had prepared him for these crucial minutes. Courage filled him when he realized it was no longer possible to hide his grief. He affirms the king at first. He says, long live the king. Long live the, he's, he's praising the king. He's showing his loyalty by that. But then he goes on in verse 3. He explains why he was sad in verse 3. He says, why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Did you notice that he never mentions the city itself? He doesn't say Jerusalem. He just says the city of my fathers. Jerusalem's history of independence might have turned the king's thoughts toward a political thing. But instead, he pulled on the heartstrings. He 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 mentions the matters of the heart, his something that was important. See Instead of going political, he chose a personal route that usually is the better choice. Nehemiah did what he said was, I want to honor the burial place of my fathers. I want to honor my ancestors. Nehemiah's fear could have led him to be timid. See, the Persians respected the dead too. They had a deep appreciation and and respect and reverence for the dead. They valued that. And they valued the heritage. And they still do to this day. Their, their uh, uh, genealogy is very important to them. And see, so what Nehemiah did, knowing this, he went straight, he didn't go into Jerusalem or this or that, he, he went right to the, something that was important to the king too. Matters of the heart. He wanted to honor his forefathers. Instead, instead of letting his fear take over, and let him be timid, and back away. Instead, he used the tool of trust very effectively. Nehemiah was patiently waiting on the Lord, and he trusted God's providence. He trusted God, God would provide guidance. He trusted that God would provide wisdom and timing. And then, after he, so he had patience. Now it's the trust. And then, as soon as he turns and he goes to continue the conversation with the king, he he pulls out another tool, and that is a tool of prayer. In verses 4 and 5, Nehemiah pulls out another well-used tool, a tool that he used all the time, and he did a quick prayer right to the Lord. And verse 4 begins with a direct, direct question from the king. What do you want? So think about the situation here. The king, Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's sad in front of the king. He has fear because the king recognizes he's sad. So he's, well, why shouldn't I be sad? My family, the, the place of my forefathers is destroyed. And then the king goes to say something. He says, well, what do you want? And what's Nehemiah responding? He Shoots up a prayer. He goes right to God. Before answering the king of Persia, he goes straight to the king of kings. And I love this. Because the text says, then I prayed to the God in heaven. So now he's in front of the king and he shoots up a prayer, what I call a little dart prayer or an arrow prayer. I mean, just something quick. He goes straight to God, probably straight to the point. This had to be a short prayer because of the time between his response and the king uh, answering him or asking him, what do you want? It had to be a quick little prayer. Probably something like, Lord, grant me success here right now. I am scared. The death, literally. He probably just went straight to God for help. He obviously didn't have the time to drop to his knees or even bow his head. He was probably just shaking maybe. Lord, help me. And the king's waiting for an answer. See, this is encouraging to me. You know why? Because you and I can pray anytime and anywhere with anyone. We can pray right here right now. We can go out on the street and pray with somebody. We can pray at dinner time, we can pray on the Remember I talked to the, uh, uh, the uh, I talked recently about praying in the shower. It's the only time I really get a moment of quiet in my house. And so I sometimes when I'm taking a shower, I'm talking to God. We can pray anywhere, at any time, with anyone. That is so encouraging. We have access to the God that created the world and we can pray anytime we want. That is a blessing in itself. See, God could be far off distance. He could have created us and left us. Some people think that. God created the world and he left us alone and he doesn't interact with us. But scripture tells us differently. And we can pray and we talk with God anytime we want, anytime of day. We can pray when we're responding to our spouse. We can pray when we're disciplining our kids. We can pray when we're faced with different situations. We can pray when we're looking to impact our neighbors. We can pray right before we go to share the gospel. We can pray right before a Bible study. We can pray right before we go grocery shopping. We can walk in the grocery store as we're walking from our car to the grocery store and go, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel right here. We can do that. We can pray anytime we want. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't even have to be audible. Now, I like to talk out. I like to pray out loud, but there is times where I pray quietly, and I think you guys have too. Just pray. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. There is no rule on one way or the other. We need to make good use of these chance uh, chance moments to send up quick prayers to God, and I am convinced as there is in one Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 5, verse 16 and eight, through 18. I'm convinced that this is the only way we can truly fulfill the part where it says, pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give and thanks so in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How do you do pray without ceasing? How do you do that? Are we supposed to wake up in the morning, get on our knees, and stay there until we get tired at night? Is that what that means? Or is it just to be constantly in your life Constantly praying. Make prayer a central part of your life. That's what that means. Nehemiah wanted, waited for the Lord, sought his wisdom, trusted God to fulfill his promises, and trusted God. And he shoots up a prayer, and then he goes into the next tool that he used, and that was planning. We see in verse 5 through 8, Nehemiah has filled his heart, uh, lifted his heart to God, now he has to open his mouth. Now he has to talk to the king. He practices both dependent prayer and deliberate planning. Because so I want you to think about this for a second. As he opens his mouth, he tells the king what he needs. That took some planning. Bless you. This is good for us. Some people think that all we have to do is pray. As long as we pray... God will build the church. People think that, and then others think it's all about planning. As long as we plan the right ministry and the plan the right things, God will will bring the people in because of of all of our planning. It shouldn't be a a both, or it should be a both and and, not a either or. We should plan and we should pray. It's is both together. We are called to plan and pray, to worship, to work, to make requests, and fill out requisitions. Nehemiah did his homework. He didn't sit around all day praying. He was a man of action. He worked, he prayed, he planned. He figured out what would be next, what he would need. He figured out the letters that he would need. He talked about the forest. He figured out exactly what he needed. And he didn't limit God in this either. He didn't say, okay, God, uh, well, the minimum I would need would be a couple you know, couple logs to build and I could do like really small doors. He didn't do like the minimum. Okay, I'll only rebuild only a few doors. No, he went to, and he planned out exactly what he needed and he didn't limit God. He figured all that he needed and he knew God would provide. Notice that he knew exactly the answer to the king's questions. He anticipated the question Related to how long his journey would take. So when the king asked, Nehemiah gave him a time frame. I will need this amount of time. He also knew it would be a dangerous journey. That's why he asked letters for the governors. So he could have safe passage. He also, the king also gave him armed guards to go travel with, to protect him. So he knew it would be dangerous. And he didn't stop there. Look at verse 8. He wanted permission to take lumber out of the king's own forest. And this forest, he, he mentions the lumberyard, uh, the guy in charge of the lumberyard, lumber Asaph. He already mentions him by name. And this, this yard, this, this forest he's talking about, the name translated is actually paradise. This is the king's own personal orchard and, and forest. It wasn't some far off area. This was his uh, forest right there. And he wanted to take lumber directly from that. That was a bold ask. Nehemiah asked for and received three things, the king's permission, protection, and provision. As we desire to grow here and, and through our time of, uh, of restoration, we must, of course, go before God and pray. But we also need to begin planning. We need, as we, if, you're, if you oversee a, a particular part of ministry, start planning. If you oversee certain things, maybe a Sunday school class, start planning things. We need to plan these events. Bring it before God, but plan some kind of strategy, some kind of future for that ministry that you're doing. We need to make sure it connects to our vision of reach, reach, teach, and go. We need to make sure it connects with that. And as we look at things like children's ministry, go ahead and look ahead and make a plan for it. In my preaching, I prepare about six months in advance. I'm still open to God. If God tells me to preach something else, I'll do that. I'm in my prayers with it. But I still plan something out. I have all 12 sermons completed for this series. I plan ahead. It's okay to do that. But you also got to go in prayer for it. If we're going to go outside of walls into our community, we need to have some kind of strategy to do that. Remember, God has a plan for his people He has a plan for you. He had a plan for Israel. He has a plan for the future of Covington Baptist Church. He has a plan for your future. And as as Nehemiah went through this and he told the king, and the king granted these things to him, and Nehemiah got through this situation, guess what he did? He gave testimony that God blessed him. He gave testimony, gave God all the credit for it. He gave God the credit for answering His prayers. He gave God the credit for guiding His mind and guiding His speech. He gave God the credit for meeting His needs. And look at the last part of verse 8. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the King granted my request. He gave God all the glory. So as God grows this church and as God, as we participate with God in this and we pray and we trust Him and we start planning after all that stuff, and as the church starts growing, we start baptizing more people, and we see lives change for the glory of God, guess what we're going to do here? We're going to testify that God gets all the credit. We're going to share with other people what God is doing. We're not going to take the credit. We're going to give God all the glory. Because that's what it deserves. Only God could have brought such a dramatic change in the king's mind. Nehemiah knew that it What was taking place had everything to do with God's arrangement and not human efforts. I'm going to end with this. Psalms 118, verse 23 says, The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Make no mistake, as God grows this church and blesses this church, we're going to give Him all the glory. And give Him all the glory every day. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for Nehemiah and his courage. His courage, Lord, to be able to go in front of the king and boldly ask what was needed. Thank you so much for Nehemiah's trust and his faithfulness to you, Father. Thank you so much for this example. And we just ask you, Lord, to as we leave this church today, as we as we do these things, as we listen to this message, help us incorporate this. Help us grow in the grace and knowledge of you help us have faith help us trust you take away the fear that we deal with all of us have some kinds of fear we're 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 afraid of something we ask you to give us courage to boldly go out and share the gospel with people to love others faithfully To put aside our desires and what we want and help uh, uh, and just sacrifice for your kingdom Father God, we ask you to continue to work in the lives of everybody here, and we love you, Lord, and we're so grateful to have this opportunity to pray anytime we want, anywhere with anybody. I am so grateful for that simple fact that you listen to us, and we know that you're listening to our prayers right now. Help us continue to pray more and pray without ceasing. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.